Um, hey, welcome to Eastlake. Uh, my name is Brent, teaching pastor here. And a uh, quick mention, if you're a guest with us, um, you walked into a theater. First of all, thanks for taking time out of a busy weekend. I know there's a lot of things competing for your time. Um, you also probably are noticing like the stage looks kind of interesting. This is not like part of the series and you're like, you might leave here being like, I don't know what he was trying to do with the whole classroom type setting. We, we, uh, we host this, uh, like a lot of community theater plays and there's a Thanksgiving thing coming up um, for uh, the Thanksgiving show with Rude Mechanicals uh, over the next couple of weekends. So we're going to see this for, set for a little bit. So if you're wondering why there are Tibetan prayer flags up, that's... That's why you're like, this is a really odd church. Um, yes, but that's not the point of the, uh, the set. So uh, we are in part two uh, of a series we're calling On the Road. We started it last week. Uh, in case you missed it, I'll do my best to kind of recap it for you a little bit. or, or I, It's not necessary, but um, there is a website. You can go to eastlaketricities.com slash talks, and you can catch up uh, there or search iTunes podcast, search East Lake Tri-Cities. But the idea behind being on the road is that at some point we all kind of leave. Uh, at some point we, we leave in pursuit of something more, in pursuit of something better. We leave sometimes out of dissatisfaction. Uh, we leave for the purpose of pursuing we think something we think qualifies as more. Um, we leave marriages, we leave jobs, we leave zip codes, we leave all kinds of things because we're chasing something. And the idea behind the series is not like, hey, let's all just stop being ambitious in life. The idea behind the series is uh, to ask ourselves a question uh, as it was posed to us uh, a long time ago, what is it that we're chasing? Wouldn't it be worth our time to kind of sit back and evaluate and say, what is it that I want when I pursue this something different, this something more? What, what, what is it that I want when I choose to go on the road with something, a question about uh, uh, sort of ambitions and whatever. So uh, the, perhaps the trajectory, this was proposed to us by this guy named Augustine, um, St. Augustine, fourth century author, um, fantastic kind of insights into this. Perhaps the trajectory of our self-discovery reveals something about true about who we're actually looking for. Perhaps it's not a what that we're looking for. Perhaps it's a, uh, it deserves something even more. It's a who we're looking for in the process. And I've been so excited to do this series because Augustine's been one of my favorite authors and uh, his Confessions book is something I've read a, a few times. Um, and in it, uh, what you see is kind of an insight. It, it's kind of put in the classified, uh, classic uh, category of an autobiography. In fact, the world's first autobiography. But it's, it's really more than that. It's really like this accessible way of understanding ourselves. It's him writing out his thoughts on a God who he is kind of struggling to begin to understand and believe in his conversion story is one uh, in church history like that is, that is immaculate. You look at church history and you see the, the transition of, of Paul, who the apostle Paul in, in the book of Acts being like, man, if you could get Paul, you could get anybody. And even in Augustine 2nd, in fact, uh, a lot of historians would say that the two books that shaped Western Christianity the most are Paul's letters in the New Testament uh, and then Augustine's Confessions. These would be the things that even in modern day philosophy classes at CBC, the ones that you slept through, you remember those, uh, they would talk about how modern day philosophers in their, in their reality are still dealing with a lot of the issues that a guy like Augustine brings up in terms of hearts and desires and, and misinformed desires and what is it that we want when we do this. He makes, the beauty of what I think he offers us is he makes Christianity or this perspective or this version of Christianity, if you want to call it, plausible for a lot of people. People probably like you and me. Um, if, if you like this church, if the reason you've been coming back is because you feel like it resonates or it talks with you in a way or, or it, uh, it communicates on a, on a medium or in a medium that you like, it's probably because what we have decided is we kind of want to follow in the footsteps of Augustine and try and make a Christianity that is plausible with the way that you do.
do life that we don't expect you to like set aside um, kind of normalcy for you when you walk in the door. You don't have to set aside a way of thinking, a way of, I don't have to like check my brain at the door, or check my, my sense of humor at the door. I get to like bring all of me into something. And God, if you want any of this, it's, it's all of me or, or it's nothing. And, and, and so what, what are you gonna do with this? And, and he does such a fantastic job of making this plausible for us. His claim is simply this, Christianity doesn't take you off the road. Christianity is not a, uh, you have all these ambitions, you're doing this life in a certain way and you need to stop doing that. It doesn't take you off the road, it just changes how you travel. In, in a few weeks, we'll develop this idea of a compass. It gives us like this a new compass, a new way of traveling, a compass that no matter which direction we go and which decisions that we make in life to get us off and on the road of what we think God's calling us to do, there's always a clear sense of what it takes to get back uh, on the right path and point us towards true north. So, um, today, uh, we are going to be answering the question, what is it that I want when I want to be free or liberated or whatever? Each week, it's going to be a, what do I want when I want this? What do I want when I want this? But what is it that I want when I want to be free or liberated? For him, he's pushing back on um, a, a version of, of religion and Christianity or whatever that, is, that feels imposing. It feels like shackles. It feels like more rules, which is probably a lot of people's resistance towards organized religion. I have enough problems with authority in my life. I don't need more people telling me what I can or cannot do. Uh, I, I, I already have cameras on Road 68 now, you know, filming me when I go through and, st- and not stop at stop sign, and then you send me a ticket, right? It's my wife this week. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, I, have, I have all of that. What I don't want are, are more things. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't make, make much sense. And so he takes that role and says, I, res- I, wanna, I resist that naturally, um, but what is it that I want when, I, when I, I'm really resisting that? So quick question to kind of put us in the mindset of this. At what age were you? Do you remember the first time your parents left you home alone? At what age was it that your parents decided old enough, responsible enough to be left at home by yourself. You can think about it. If you came with somebody, you can kind of whisper to them real quick what that age was. And as you're doing that, I just want you to know there is a direct correlation between how good you were as a kid and the answer to this question. Do you know that? Um, Because if you were like, oh, I feel like I was a pretty good kid, and then the answer to the previous question was, I was 17 when my mom and dad left me, then the reality is, you were not a good kid, okay? I, I hate to break this to you now, but that's just how it works. Uh, we just started leaving our daughter, our oldest daughter, London. She's uh, almost 12. She'll be 12 in February. And we just started this process of like, you know, well, we're going to leave, but we're just going to like walk around the block. We're just testing the boundaries, right? Now we're going to leave, but we're just going to go to Walmart real quick and we'll be right back. And now we're at the spot where we're like, um, we'll see you Monday. You know what I mean? No, I'm just kidding. We're not there yet. But we're, we're getting to that spot where we're like slowly and slowly, a little bit more distance, a little bit more time, a little bit more something. And by the way, and, and it has been so freeing for mostly for us as parents, right? Because it's interesting, as we leave, it feels like there's more, she's under more rules in our absence than she is when we're present at home. 
Because when we leave, my wife has this list of rules for her. Like when we're home, she gets to do pretty much whatever she wants. But when we leave, it's like, don't answer the door. Don't, don't answer the phone. Uh, don't go outside. Don't, you know, all this kind of stuff. She's, and, and, and she's realizing there's freedom, but like there's new like rules and expectations that come along with this freedom. And, and, and as you get older and as you enter into the teen years, you begin to get more sense of freedom, but then there's more rules that are imposed on you that comes with that freedom. Like eventually she's going to be 16 and she's going to get a car and it's probably going to be my car. And it's going to be so freeing for remember that feeling that you got in your first car. It's so freeing. I, I keep reminding her it may be freeing, but this car will not be free. It is going to cost you. And so she said, would you please mention to everybody that she's qualified as a babysitter for any expecting moms? Cause it's going to, Anyways, I'm just kidding. Um, the car has always been an American symbol and just a universal symbol of a rite of passage. When you got handed the keys for the very first time, it's like, I can go anywhere I want and do anything that I want. Yes, but in the context of you do have to stick to the roads that the DOT has termed uh, you know, accessible and usable. You can't just go anywhere you want. I mean, if you own a Land Rover, I guess you could. But in, for most of us, We only go, as freeing as the car is, we can only go on what other people at some point designated, this is going to be paved, this is worth driving upon. So there's an irony that even when you're alone on the open road, you're following somebody, and the response to that is, yes, but I chose it. Yes, but I'm choosing it. Yet I could go anywhere. And the freedom is that I have the gift of what we're terming this series or today's talk, the gift of agency. I have the ability to choose for myself what I want to do and where I want to go. And it's funny how we can consider being told what to do is freedom as long as we're the ones who chose it. Uh, there's a movie that came out a few years ago. It was like in the running for Best Picture. I don't think it won, but it's called Ladybird. Uh, and just if you've seen the, the picture, you may remember the trailer. That, that was probably the most memorable part, memorable part of it because it's this teenager who's in the car with her mom and, and her mom is arguing and, and it's just a droning argument that just doesn't stop. And she's like, stop, stop, stop. And, they're not, and she's not stopping. She keeps bringing it up, keeps bringing it up. And then she does the thing that we all think about. And she, she, she's like, what if I just opened the door and just bailed out? And, and so she does in this, in this film. And it's so, it resonates with all of us because we're like, oh my gosh, I've so been there. Have we been in that spot where we're like, I wonder if I would survive this, right? And then she does it and you're like, oh, see, that's, that's, that's what I wanted to do for so long. Anyways, in this story, um, her name isn't Lady Bird at birth. It wasn't her given name. She, she takes it. She's, this is her way of kind of pushing back against other people telling me what I have to be. And she cannot wait to escape Sacramento because that's where, you know, home is and, and a dysfunctional relationship with her parents and all this kind of stuff. And so her response when asked, what, you know, where do you want to go to college um, is the same thing we said last week, which is basically we live this life of anywhere but here, anywhere but Pasco, right? Anywhere but Richland, anywhere but I want to do anything but where I'm currently at. And so, so she says anything but Sacramento. And so in the, in the role, in the, uh, in the course of the class, one of the teachers in high school asks her, Lady Bird, uh, is that your given name or, you know, how do, how do you respond to that? And she says this response, I gave it to myself. It's given to me by me. I still have to have a name. I still have to have something on my ID. But if I get to choose it, that is a sense of my own agency. It's still a name. I still have to respond to it when people say something to me. But freedom often looks and feels like receiving gifts from yourself. And as long as I get to choose it, that's what's most important to me. This notion of freedom is the only freedom that we know now, which is the freedom as self-determination. The freedom of self-determination. I know that there are other imposed rules upon me by doing this, but if I get to choose it, then there's a sense of 
agency and growth, and that's, that's what I crave so much. I don't want people telling me what to do. Freedom means hands off. I've got this. I know what I want. It doesn't matter what you choose. What matters is that you choose. And that's true. Listen, you felt this way at 16. You felt this way at 18. You felt this way at 40. You felt this way uh, your entire life. We, we, we get these spots, and we think, yes, that's that's it. I just, I just want to be able to choose and do my own thing. And, and Augustine would say, I get that. I feel that. But isn't that sort of, doesn't that get to be exhausting? And he would say, have you taken an evaluation of where that sort of has led you? How's that working out for you in this way? Isn't it slightly exhausting? He would say, I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, and, and he's not prescribing this. What we, what we get in the confessions is kind of peeking over the shoulder of him having a conversation with God, walking through some of this himself, which is why I think we love it so much because it's not like more great, more things to do in my life. It's like I get to pick and choose what I feel like resonates with me and then kind of um, go from there. And, and he was this massively successful, wealthy, fame, all, and, and very, very smart and all this kind of stuff. And so when we, when we see somebody of his stature struggling with some of this, it kind of makes us feel better about the fact that we kind of struggle with this. And so when he says to himself, um, it's exhausting for me to kind of go down this road, at some point we've either gotten there, been there, are there now, or have been there, or will get there. And so it's worth our time to kind of expect this. And he would say, I don't know what it's like for you, but for me... What started out as the removal of constraints, what I envisioned as freedom, eventually started to feel a little bit like punishment. He says, one of the reasons I resisted Christianity is because I didn't want more shackles. I didn't want more things. And we've, we've all kind of been in that thing. And he says, but then I realized what I wanted when I wanted freedom wasn't really freedom, but it was just another form of imprisonment and whether or not you believe him or not, like you get to choose on whether that's at. But this is illustrated in this way. There's a book uh, that just came out recently called On the Road to St. Augustine, which is inspired actually this series by a guy named James K. A. Smith. And he quotes this idea of kind of bringing it into kind of, you know, more modern language in this way. He says this, when you're swimming in a tiny above ground pool at your cousin's house and you keep bumping up against the walls, you start wishing they weren't there. But when in your rambunctiousness, you succeed in knocking them down, you realize the pool didn't get any bigger. It just disappeared. It's too small. It's too confining. It's too it, prohibitive. And then when it's gone, there's just nothing there any longer in this way. And from this road of life experience that we get this little observation from Augustine, I was storm-tossed, gushing out, running every which way, frothing in the thin air in my filthy affairs. And when freedom from myself begins to feel a little bit like losing yourself, he says, that's where you can open up and that's where something can be at work inside you to be like, what am I doing? What do I want when I really do want freedom? When I was uh, late in high school or early college, I couldn't quite remember, my parents uh, took us on a cruise. It was like a big family thing. Um, and uh, it, it, I don't even remember where we went, uh, any, anything about it. But what I do remember is my dad, we would get, you know, go on the cruise and we'd he would get, he'd been on several before, and um, we'd get all dressed up, and we'd go into the dinner hall or the little banquet thing where they, they served dinner. 
And uh, we'd all, I've grown up in a household where we always ordered from the right side of the menu, not the left side of the menu. Do, do you know what I mean when I say that? What's on the left side? Description of what the food is. What's on the right side? The prices, right? So you always base your decision on the prices. Eventually, you could like see the price and be like, okay, now we linger left and then we come back to the right and we always order what the best value is. Don't matter what you want, what's the best value on the menu? And then there's other people who you, you hear this and you're like, oh, that's a terrible way to live. I order what you want. How many times, how many times do you live in, man? You live in twice? You, how many times do you live in? You live in once? Live once, order on the left side of the menu. That's fine. So half of you um, are like thinking that the way that I do it is ridiculous because I still live in that way. And then half of you are like, no, that's just prudent and good value. Nice job, Brent. Um, so anyways, we get on the cruise ship and they pass out the menus at this, this dinner hall and there is no right side of the menu, right? Everything's all included. It's all inclusive. Um, so there is no right side of the menu. Everything is the left side of the menu. You can order whatever it is that you want. So this, for the first time in the history of me being under my dad's home, he hands me a menu and he goes, you order whatever you want, right? He'd never done that before, ever. And then uh, I realized what's going on. And then, and then my dad then also makes this comment. He goes, um, you can order as much as you want here too. Listen, if you want multiple dishes, they legally can't say no to you. And I was like, I don't know if that's true, Dad. But you know what? And he tested the theory. And every time he'd be like, you know what? I'm, not, I'm trying to decide between one or each of these. He would allow like, the, uh, the waiter to be like, well, we could get you both. And he's like, oh, that sounds great. He, he'd play this game where he'd be like, oh, it's, it's his idea, so I don't feel bad about wasting food. But it was his idea the whole time. Anyways, he would say, yeah, why don't you just bring me one of each of these things? And the waiter would always say, as you please, right? And then he would walk away. And my dad would be like, <laughs> just sitting there. This is, by the way, this is the same guy who I prided, I, I, I you know, commended last week for saying, talking about the idea of not living in Hawaii because it would lose its lure. And I said, that's just wisdom from 63 years. Uh, on the flip side, this is the wisdom from somebody who just really likes food. So like two different sides of the coin. My dad's not perfect perfect example of this, being like, I get to have whatever it is that I wanted. And by the way, it felt like freedom until it felt like intestinal lava. <laughs> then you wish somebody would have imposed some sort of restrictions on you. By the third or fourth night, you're like, Ramon, please do not let me order whatever I want, okay? I get one thing, and it needs to have at least one vegetable in it. That has to happen because I don't think the plumbing in my small, tiny closet of a room is going to handle this kind of mess. So please, on the far side of such freedom, sometimes is a long way down the road is regret. And it's humorous when you're talking about your third lobster, but if it's your life, it's a little bit more, I don't know, painful, a little bit more close to home. Augustine would write it in his confessions in this way. I loved my own ways, not yours. The liberty I loved was that, merely that of a runaway. And his big kind of transition or invitation to us is to see how this plays out in the, long, in the long term, like life in the long term, looking at these decisions going, you want this freedom, you want to be able to choose, you want to be you and self-determination and your, your goals, your, your habits, your things, your choices, your agency in this, great. But in that case, it's a really terrible and terrifying thing to know that what you want to be, uh, that, that you know what you want to be and then realize you're the only one standing in your way of dissatisfaction of where I currently am. You have nobody to blame but yourself in those ways. To want with every fiber of your soul to be something different, to escape the you that you've made for yourself, 
to go over and over again, to fall back into the self that you hate over and over and over again. You want a different kind of life, but you're enchained to the one that you've made for yourself. In the problem of pain, C.S. Lewis would describe it as this. The doors of hell are ones that are locked from the inside, that we create our own hell for ourselves, that it is us who do this. And how does freedom end up being like a prison? How can you jump to this? How do you if we can say, I can see how that's true, but I, I don't know the process by which it gets there, Augustine does us the favor of drawing this up for us. And he says, let me allow myself to describe the way at least it worked for me. The consequences of a disordered will is passion. I become passionate about what I want. By servitude to passion, habit is formed. I want it and I keep making those choices for myself. Eventually a habit is formed and a habit to which there is no resistance becomes necessity. Now I need it. I used to want it, then I would do it so often that a habit was formed, and now I've convinced myself that I actually need it, and I don't know how I'd function without it. At some point, the habit becomes a necessity, and what I want becomes a moot point. This is what I'll chase because it feels like what I need. The habit becomes a necessity, and the sign after this impossible freedom, the longing for a new will, and the despair of never being able to overcome it. Augustine would say, this is the pattern that I've found myself in. Perhaps you have found yourself in. And it's no great jump to think that he's pulling a little bit from the Apostle Paul when in the book of Romans, he writes about how I know what I ought to be doing, but I just can't find myself doing it. I know what I should not be doing, and I find myself doing exactly that. What kind of a person am I? I'm almost although it feels like I'm in control when I'm doing this, and I feel like I have free agency and free choice, there is a way in which I've developed habits that now shape me in ways that I don't want to be, and I'm doing it out of not want but need. And I don't know who I am anymore, and I want something else. Talk to somebody who's been in addiction, and you're standing outside of addiction, you're talking to them and saying, like, why don't you, why don't you just stop doing this? And they would say to you, it's not that I don't want to do this anymore. Are you kidding me? This habit is like consuming now. I started off just wanting it, but now I feel like I need it. And my need overweighs my want to not be in this position anymore. And I found myself kind of, I, I, I wanted this freedom, and now it feels like I've kind of created my own prison in this way. Paul describes this. He's no foreigner to this. And at the very end of this long, and I would read it, but it like, it's, like, it's hard to even like read through this. You can read through that in Romans chapter seven on your own. He ends this long, probably eight or 10 verses of kind of fumbling over and, and trying to talk through this. He ends it with this brilliant insight at the very end. One where we're not left without hope. There is hope, but here's what it is. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who will rescue me from my own self in this way? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so the irony that my freedom of choice brings me to the point where I need somebody else to give me a will that is actually free. This is him saying, I've wanted freedom my entire life. I've chased after it. I've done this. And what I want now is not freedom. I want somebody to tell me what I need to do. I want somebody who I trust to tell me. I don't need more chances. I need somebody not me, somebody who knows what they're doing. 
And so he would say, this resistance that I've had to like impose obligations of you should do this and you should do this and you should live in this way that I've resisted for so long, I realize those are not the walls of imprisonment closing in on me. It's more like scaffolding holding me up or a rebar to my identity. I need to do these things. I want to do these. Actually, I don't want to do these things, but I should do these things. And, when, and, and I'm, I'm going to find myself, I'm going to wake up every once in a while and I'm not doing these things and I'm going to feel bad and I'm going to come to church and I'm going to sit through a confession prayer. I'm going to be like, I can't change what I haven't done. Give me the hope and the strength to be able to change what I need to do. And I'm going to every day wake up to this and wake up to this and want to do better and want to do better. But I know it's not wanting to do better for him. He would say, I need, an out, I need you to change my will and my desire because even though I might voice that I want to change and do this, I know in my heart of hearts that I don't really want to do that. So God, give me your grace in this moment to be able to do and want the things that you want from me, I like this like idea of submission. He writes it in this way, if only somebody could have imposed restraint on my disorder, that would have transformed a good purpose, the fleeting experiences of beauty and the lowest of things and fixed limits to indulgence in their charms. If only somebody would have come in and said something to me and hold, held me accountable to this. It's like when you're 16 and you, you think it would be so cool to have parents, you hear about these parents who buy their kids beer for their parties, they're like, well, we'll just turn the other way and we have a good time, right? It's like the 16-year-old that wants the cool parents. Until you're like 24 and 25 or whatever and you have this problem, you're like, I wish my parents would have been a little bit more parent-ish in my life, right? I'm not, I didn't want helicopter parents, but I also don't want my parents to be my best friend. They're supposed to be my parents. You were supposed to like have some sort of rules for me, Right? This is why, by the way, we hire and pay uh, these physical fitness guides with our hard-earned money to be like, hey, listen, I know if it's just me, like logically, I should be able to pay the bare minimum, get me into access to the Gold's Gym. If I have access to the machines and my own free will that somehow rejuvenates itself every January 1st, I should be okay. But I know me. And if I don't have somebody going, why aren't you here? Why aren't you working? Why are you constantly on your phone? Why are you still taking breaks? Why are you? If I don't have that here, I'm paying you to be a jerk to me, okay? Here's what I need to do. I need you to tell me what I need to hear because I know if it's just me, I'm not gonna get there. And I really, really wanna fit into these jeans and I'm not gonna do it by myself. So here, <laughs> right? This is, this, is, this is him going, listen, it is natural to want to resist some sort of living into the obligations or living into the rules or, or open ourselves up to, God, what do you have to say about how I live my life and, and, and are there restrictions involved in this and, and what is it that you want from me? It's, it's, yes, that is so natural to have. But on the road, what if, what if that desire for freedom actually leads you to a spot that you don't wanna be and you can view those instead as, Thank you for caring enough about me to provide a little bit of scaffolding for my life, for who I am. Without you, what am I to myself but a guide to my own self-destruction? This, this is one that like deserves a post-it note that goes on your mirror or in your car or something that like even after this series goes beyond me. Anytime that I'm tempted to do life with me in the driver's seat, without you, what, and again, feel free to disagree with this. That's fine, but I'm just saying, this is him. We get to peek over his shoulder and see this. Without you, what am I to myself but a guide to my own self-destruction? And he offers continually this invitation to ask yourself this question. What is it that I want when I'm on the road, when I want something more for me?
And again, it's this external grace. It's this outside perspective. It's this thing. Um, I, I met in between services with uh, uh, Megan, who um, kind of helps me process through kind of how how to present second. This is why second service is always a better service to come to than first. First was so random. It's fine. This is way better. You signed up for the right one. Um, and she mentioned she's a teacher. And she's like, every kid thinks they want a teacher with less rules in the classroom. Have you ever attended a classroom without any rules? It's chaos. It's utter chaos. The best teachers are the ones who there's like this perception of no rules, but they're still very much in control. They guide the conversation. If they're not hard, hardcore, you know, everybody, all the kids are scared to sit, raise their hand or do this. But there's, there's definite boundaries in place. And they're there for your own personal benefit. And you may, as a six-year-old, 12-year-old, 18-year-old in, in, in these classes, not really understand it. But you, I think you begin to appreciate it so much more later. I learned from them because there was structure involved in this. And how do we get it? It's at least for Augustine, from the outside in. It's not another chance, I'll get this right the second time. It's God, in your grace, in your grace, would you hold me accountable? Would you have things? Would you have expectations and obligations for me? Because at that point then, I begin to walk. I, I begin to trust in you, right? I, I begin to trust not in myself and my own ability, but in something beyond this. He would say this in his book on reprimanding grace, the human will does not attain grace through its freedom, but rather attains, it, attains its freedom through grace. Attains its freedom through grace. And he goes, he would say later on, we look at humanity and we thank you continually for, through the creative process, allowing us to experience and have agency when it comes to free will that we get to choose you, that we get to choose that you didn't create us as robots, right? Who, who, who like, um, uh, we, we, we get the free choice of saying yes or no. We wouldn't want to live in a world where we only have to say yes. And then he goes, but now having experienced this, I'm looking forward to an opportunity where I don't have to, uh, I don't have to worry about living into a yes. He's like, I, you can only get there once you've experienced the free agency of, of having free will. But then having it and realizing, left to myself, I fail, I fail, I fail, I fail. I want to live in a world where I no longer have to choose what's best for me, that you do this for me. That I go and, I, and, and week in and week out, I get an opportunity to, in, to be invited into a community where I sing these songs that express words that I may or may not feel on that certain day that put me in a position, listen, I know that, um, that our songs and the way that we, the, the worship songs and, uh, are probably the most churchy thing that we do. We, we pride ourselves in being a church for unchurched people. And yet, when you read these songs, sometimes you're like, I don't know if I believe all of that. I get it, but we, like, we do, at some point, crave some sort of transcendence. We crave some sort of, a, I, I want that to be true of me, even if it's not currently uh, true of me. And, and we do it in a, in a song format so that there's participation that you're invited to, at least mouth the words, and you may have a terrible voice, and that's fine. We encourage you not to sing at that point. I'm just kidding. Um, but there's, there's a, a sense in which when I'm, when I'm either reading these or singing these, I'm like trying to invite that into my existence, even if it's not real for me. And when we do these confession prayers and psalms in between songs, there's words that I can kind of like begin to piecemeal together and begin to identify and draw myself and, and like 
point myself into this. And at the end of every series, we do this thing called communion, right? Which everybody's kind of familiar with. And you're invited to kind of participate in this reenact in this very tangible way of saying, God, I'm not worthy of, of the grace that you've given me, but like I, I receive it even though I'm not worthy of it. And, and, and when we do these things, we're participating in this. We're, we're like trying to retrain ourselves into being the type of people who can accept the kind of grace that has been extended to us. And so we would say, or, or Augustine would say, listen, by myself, I know where this thing leads. I just know me and I don't need another chance. I wanna live in a world where I don't have to, know, I, I, I crave and I, I look forward to the time where I don't have to choose this anymore because I know where I'm at. But in, in this moment, may I respond to your expectations of me and not view them as more rules to live by. The walls of religiosity are slowly and slowly caving in. But maybe, may I say, no, God, let me see these as a better way of doing life, trusting in a God who, since he created life, probably knows more about it than me and my meager 36 years of existence or whatever. That is the invitation that Augustine offers us. What is it that we want when we want freedom? We want agency. We want, we want the free will, the ability to choose. We like that. But he's offering us to see the inroad, the long game in this, and whether or not we can learn to be able to trust God for something more. Let's pray. Father, uh, our prayer is uh, that you would help make this a reality for us no matter where we're at on our spiritual journey. If it's his first steps and we're just like, yeah, the one thing I've hated about religion is all of the different rules. Or for those of us who've kind of been in this thing for a long time and we, we can look back on our life and be like, every time I think that it's up to me, I know how that ends up and that's frustrating. So both of us are, are invited to peek over the shoulders of Augustine as he confessed his, his stuff to you, his messy life to you. And, and in some sense, it's inspiring for us. And, and um, it also then paves the, the, the framework for us to be able to view uh, you and your lordship over us in a completely different way than just more rules and another authority figure to, by which to live by. So Give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our life, the courage to act upon it. In your name, amen.